0: Aloha and welcome to the Hawaii Reopening Consortium webinar. This is the seventh in a series of eight
1: webinars happening every Tuesday. My name is Sandy Santiago-Linares, and I'm the Director of Sales and Marketing at the Ritz Carlton Residences Waikiki Beach.
2: And my name is Toby Tamai, and I'm the president of a local agency called AT Marketing. This series is a collaboration between the Travel Industry Management International and the Shiloh College of Business Administration Alumni Associations. The idea for this series was born from a simple discussion that evolved into the realization of need. We needed to hear from our leaders in our various industries. We needed them together, united, and we needed to have them help us determine our plans to reopen successfully. But ultimately, this series is about you. So please, if you have any questions for the panelists, drop them in the Q&A box and our moderators will monitor it and select as many as we possibly can by the end of the webinar.
1: These webinars are offered at no cost by the two alumni associations. They are designed to stimulate ideas for solutions that can be implemented by key tourism leaders, large and small business owners, employees working in the tourism industry, college students studying the travel industry or related fields, and the general public. Topics topics include tourism, health, and safety, an update from the airline and hotel industries, restarting businesses and retail and dining, and a special webinar focused on recovery of tourism from Japan. These goals, The goals of these seminars is to deliver information that can save small businesses, save jobs, and provide hope to our attendees with positive and forward-thinking messages. You can find our recordings of our previous webinars at shilard.hawaii.edu slash reopening tourism.
2: Additionally, the Shilard College of Business recently started a new fundraising campaign called Shiler Strong. Proceeds raised will help us provide critical funds for our students and our programs and help us perpetuate our legacy of excellence for the college. If Schindler has touched your life or you're receiving value from these webinars, we encourage to give what you can. No gift is too small and it helps us move forward in creating a bright future for our community. Together, we can keep Schindler strong.
1: Since these webinars, these seminars are during the day. We are featuring U.H. Schindler College of Business or Travel Industry Management restaurants that are owned and managed by an alumni. Today's restaurant is Koa Pancake House. And today I'm eating a Florentine benefit outside of whole wheat toast. <laughs> I would also like to mention the producers behind this webinar today. Evan Leon, CEO of Brain Hawaii, and Buddy Liao, Executive Director of Virtual Student Experiences. Wow,
2: well, that looks great. I also got my Koa Pancake House. It's a venadosh pork with home fried potatoes. For those tuning in, you can go online until November 15 and enter Reopen Hawaii at the Koa Pancake House website, and they'll give you 15% off. Once again, that's Reopen Hawaii. And you can eat this delicious Benadon's pork. And I'm going to eat it right now while I watch you guys on the seminar. I'll see you guys later at the end.
1: Mahalo Koa Pancake House for the generous discount to our webinar attendees. All right, let's get on to the webinar. Let's meet our moderators today, representing the UH Schuyler College of Business Alumni Association is Diane Fushenbrew. She is an EEMBA of 2011. She is a financial advisor for Northwestern Mutual and will be joined by the Travel Industry Management Internationals, Christy Lowe. Uh, and she graduated in 2001, which was a bachelor of science. She's a director of human resources at CoopHank House. Take it away, ladies.
3: Thank you, Sandy and Toby uh, for allowing us to moderate the restaurant and food industry discussion today. Please enjoy your co-op hiking house breakfast or lunch while we continue the show. The country's restaurant location just opened this morning for dine-in service uh, with strict implemented COVID procedures and we're excited to welcome our customers to eat in again. Diane? Yep. okay. Well, let's get started. Our first speaker
4: today is Cheryl Matsuoka. Aloha everyone, my name is Cheryl Matsuoka, the Executive Director of the Hawaii Restaurant Association and the Hawaii Restaurant Association Association Educational Foundation. Mahalo to our hosts and organizers. I'm so honored to be on the panel of leaders from our food service industry and of course you know our industry, the food service industry, has been hugely impacted by COVID-19. And as always, the HRA has always taken the safety of our employees and guests as the number one priority. And um, we agree that we need to get a hold of this pandemic. And we we know that for all of our businesses, cash flow has been incredibly tight already. Um, a lot of our businesses in the food service industry are trying to catch up on paying their vendors from our first shutdown. And on top of the vendors, back rent, just keeping the doors open by paying their insurance and bringing the employees back. I just wanted to mention a little bit about the Hawaii Restaurant Card. I thought this would be a great platform, Toby. Um, We want to give a great huge shout out to our Governor Ige who, who infused um, $75 million into our food service industry by um, approving the Hawaii restaurant card. As of Friday, I have some stats, and this is going to get everybody on this um, this webinar very excited. As of Friday, 116,000 cards were sent out, 105 cards were activated, which is 90%, 58 um, million has been loaded on the card. And as of Friday, $26 million has been spent in our restaurants and food service industry. That's a 45% of the um, amount loaded on the cards. Um, 748,000 transactions were done at an average of $35 per ticket. And in the restaurant industry ticket is really important the reason we wanna thank gay is because our food service industry, as a restaurant card gets used, then what happens is it trickles all the way down. It trickles down to our Waihatas and all of our vendors, all of our suppliers, all of our, our food service partners. So we wanna thank the governor for approving this. And we look forward to more initiatives like this to infuse more money into our restaurant and food service industry so we can bring our employees back and we can keep that supply chain going. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Shara. Our next um, panelist is Russell Hatta. Russell Hatta is the chairman, president, and CEO of the 107-year-old Y and Company Limited the largest independent family-owned wholesale food service distributor servicing the state of Hawaii. Russell is the grandson of Hawaii founder and namesake, Yoichi Hata, and is credited with the company's turnaround in the 1990s and its current expansion, which encompasses five locations, including Chef's Zone. Russell founded Chef's Zone nearly six years ago, uh, Hawaii's first food service club position for food service operators, but also open to the public. Russell's company also acquired King Specialty Foods in 2018 and extended their services even further on Oahu and Maui. He received his Bachelor and Business Administration with a Finance Degree and Executive MBA from the University of Hawai'i Charlotte College of Business. Please welcome Russell.
5: Thank you very much, Christy. I hope everybody can hear me okay. So I was asked to um, answer a question and let me go ahead and read the question one of your most successful COVID pivots has been the chef's box and creation of pickup and delivery services is there something you are working on in 2021 that will also help pivot your business in a new stream of revenue such as perhaps chef's own delivery into hotels or timeshare well let me start with first of all what were our pivot um, objectives So the first thing was to stay safe, make sure people can get safe, affordable, and convenient way to get foods for both our restaurant customers and also one of our pivots to to the consumer. Second major objective is to help our chefs and our restaurant customers. Uh, If you think about our brand promise, which is solutions delivered with Aloha, uh, that speaks directly to helping our chefs and restaurants. The third major objective is to strengthen our position in Hawaii's marketplace uh, overall as a distributor in Hawaii. So when you look at our initial programs, we had SuperEt on the Goal. SuperEt on the Goal was basically um, taking food out into the community to basically help uh, get the community's food products. We also did food bundles, which meant we broke down cases and mixed and matched product to make it easier for the consumer. And the third thing we did was uh, CZ, uh, excuse me, Chef's Own Curbside, which uh, pretty much made it easier for customers to pick up without coming into the store and risking exposing themselves to uh, COVID. Our current programs include Chef's Own Curbside, which continues as uh, before, We also added e commerce, e commerce to our overall uh, delivery service. And then our Chef Box, because it uh, helps deliver our brand promise to the restaurants and chefs, we're trying to expand the Chef's Box program. Excuse me. So, future pivots for 2021. Basically, we're looking at expanding our capabilities to the chefs by uh, reopening our Sand Island kitchen and allowing chefs and restaurants to come in to use our kitchen to create chef box, et cetera. That's one uh, area that we're looking at. Expand our food service product mix. Starting off with IMA, which stands for Independent Marketing Alliance. IMA is made up of six distributors across the nation all multi-billion dollar offices, a buying group that allowed Waihata to come in and join them so that we can get economies of scale to offer better quality products at a better price. So that's an area really looking at strongly pivoting towards. And that also includes not only restaurant products, but also consumer products. We wanna also expand into local products Uh, We partnered with Mana Op to bring in their local products as well as local products from the local manufacturers. And I'll take a second at this time to say back in the 60s and 70s when the whole regional cuisine uh, movement was happening. uh, Peter Merriman was one of the very uh, first ones involved in that and also, um, I'm sorry, hold on one second, also uh, TS restaurants, I'm sorry. T.S. Restaurants was big on Maui. But Waihata at that time was struggling to survive. And we never got into the real local product mix, which uh, put us pretty far behind in the food distribution area. But now we want to rebuild it and refocus on local products and uh, manufacturers. We also want to expand into the consumer area. We never did do that. Ever since I came in, we, uh, we stopped servicing the grocery stores, but we wanna re-enter that area again, primarily because of COVID and the shift. We wanna expand our partnerships, which includes uh, elite parking. We partner with them to do our uh, chef box deliveries. And we're also gonna do some other programs with them into the restaurants. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, the hotels and timeshare area. We also do corporate partnerships, where we create uh, customized bundles and also uh, ChefBox, where we make exclusive products for corporations. And finally, we want to expand our company overall, uh, including possibly expansion of Chef's Own pop-ups or Chef's Own Expresses, which we're currently analyzing now, and also looking at our branches, our neighbor island branches to expand their uh, capabilities. A second uh, question that was asked of me to answer today was, has there been supply disruptions due to a slowdown in air and sea transportation services? Supply disruptions. So let me start with the farmers, the manufacturers and processing, uh, processing people. If you look at them, if you look at the entire marketplace of food, food is divided into two specific areas, restaurant, uh, restaurant area or food service, food away from home, and then food at home, the grocery stores. So that's the two basic divisions of the industry. And uh, excuse me, one second. So when you look at the initial shutdown, yeah, it caused huge losses to the farmers and the producers, which greatly affected the supply to, um, to, our, to myself, to the distributor, and then also to the restaurants, obviously. Then when you look at the, the demand shift, it shifted from food service and grocery retail, which was about 50-50, And it shifted to retail grocery stores. And what that shift did was, when we order as a food service distributor, when we order from the manufacturer, basically there were a lot of products that were shorted, that they're no longer producing because they shift their production over to the retail side. And a lot of the restaurants, I believe, in Hawaii don't really understand that piece of it because there's two channels and Retail grocery versus food service is totally different. Us being food service, obviously, um, there were a lot of products that were not made available to us because of the shift to, to our retail. Then, when you look at COVID itself, the disruption they caused, um, there were a lot of uh, farmers and plants closing because of COVID, uh, The people got COVID, they they closed entire plants at a time for weeks, if not months at a time. Skew rationalization, because of the shift in demand and the lower demand of food service, they started decreasing the amount of products that were supplied. Then finally on on the food service restaurant side, basically there were a lot of shortages. So these things all very much affected the supply chain to the restaurant food service side. Uh, Excuse me. When you look at Hawaii logistics, it takes three to five weeks to get product, to order products. So when the state closed um, the restaurants back the first time I believe was in uh, April, when the state closed, although we had no demand products kept on coming into our distribution center for three to five weeks. As such, we were overstocked about seven and a half million. And then when you look at the perishable products, all the restaurants lost money in that area, whether it's milk or um, yogurt and things like that, anything perishable, they lost or donated. Us as a distributor, we lost or donated over one and a half million dollars worth of product. So that put a major strain on the whole system. So let me ask a question. What happens when demand resumes? But med- the, uh, when demand resumes, but menus change? Uh, basically it causes a heck of a lot of disruption. Then when you look at our computer systems, our computer systems based the orders that it places based on historical usage. But with COVID, that all went out the window. So basically the total supply system, when you talk about disruption, it was totally disrupted. Um, We can no longer get a lot of products a lot of products are shorted from us. Then internally, um, we don't know what the restaurants are going to order. Some of the restaurants quit, um, did uh, inventory menu rationalization. So they eliminated uh, menu items, they added menu items, and basically made it very, very difficult overall. So getting back to the air and sea shipments, on the air side, because there are no longer wide-body um, planes coming into Hawaii, a lot of the air shipments basically disappeared or raised greatly in price. On the ocean side, there was very little disruption, very little changes there, except for weather conditions and things like that. Like that. But another area that most people don't realize is on the mainland, the trucking side, uh, a lot of the trucking companies either went under or stopped servicing, so the prices all went up. So overall product availability, the supply disruption made it very unpredictable for wholesalers, made it almost impossible for us to uh, reorder. We don't know what to reorder. And there were price increases all over the lot. So that's a lot of the uh, supply chains disruption. I know I'm kind of spotty in the way I explained that, but uh, it has been very, very difficult. With that, should I turn it over to Christy?
3: Well, thank you, Russell, for, um, for going into uh, the questions that we had uh, for you. Um, we're gonna move on to um, introducing Peter and uh, Diane will carry on from here.
6: Diane. Thank you. Thank you everybody. Um, Yeah we're going to continue on with Peter. Let me go ahead and start his intro. So next up is Peter Merriman. Peter has been a culinary pioneer in Hawaii for over 30 years. Known as the original locovore, Peter is a vocal champion of Hawaii's farmers, ranchers, and fishermen. His restaurants showcase island-grown and harvested foods through simple preparations that reflect the myriad flavors of Hawaii's multiculturalism. Dubbed the Pied Piper of Hawaii regional cuisine by the Los Angeles Times, he is, continu- he is a continuing inspiration to Hawaii's thriving culinary scene. In 1988, Peter opened his signature upcountry restaurant, Merriman's, in Waimea on the Big Island of Hawaii, and now runs multiple Merriman locations, Monkey Pod Kitchen, Moku Kitchen, and the Beach House. Welcome, Peter.
7: Hi Diane, thank you, and uh, thank you to everybody at the Foundation Alumni Foundation. I'm I'm really kind of intimidated being here with all the all you uh, all you guys with graduate degrees and business MBAs. This is like wow, it's kind of scary for me to be here, but uh, it's uh, I'm really happy to be here and excited. It was fun to listen to Russell because um, I actually he said that they were struggling to survive, and when we started our restaurant in 1988 we were buying from from Waihata and they had some real specialty products that nobody else had and it's so interesting 30 years later to see them transitioning into local products so it's it's very they were, I think they were more um Asian based products at that time but I'm real excited is there a particular answer any uh, question you want me to answer right now or should we just move to the panel discussion or
1: Hi, Peter. Um, Would love to hear your thoughts on um, what it's meant to you to to localize the culinary experience here in Hawaii and um, to work farm-to-table with your different partners here um, on the islands.
7: On a general sense or just since the pandemic?
1: Um, Both. Maybe you can touch upon both.
7: Well, um, you know, on the the overall, experience of having worked with the local farmers and so forth is is probably the 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 most rewarding thing I've done in my entire life other than have a family. Um, it's been it's been my honor to work with the the producers of Hawaii, the ranchers, the fishermen and the farmers. And anybody that's heard me speak before has probably heard me say that I've never met a farmer I didn't like. And the the people who are farmers, they tend to be smart super hardworking and humble and, and and those are like three of the best traits I can find in anybody and when we when we first started Merryman's in 1988 the reason why Hata was not in the local there was no there was no market for that back then there was there was a few um, tourist hotels around the state but they all served continental cuisine and, and folks didn't really want to see a local thing and so we started doing that just in, in, and really what we did Initially, what we were doing, we would buy from local producers because we wanted the best product. Things were being Russell was talking a little bit about how things are shipped here. Things were shipped in a really poor fashion in those days, and you you couldn't get any quality. All your fresh vegetables and fruits and so forth had to be shipped in. And even fish was often brought in frozen and so forth. And we were just looking for high-quality products. And so by doing that, we encourage people to go out and start farming. And a lot of these farmers were really small farmers at the time. And what happened was, you know, if you think back to 1988, um, the, in, the sugar industry is declining, right? So a lot of this uh, old sugar land starts becoming available um, for new age, new generation farmers who could lease that land at an affordable price and get into business. And so we, ca- we happen to show up at just the right time where this land is becoming available to these people who have a desire to start growing things. And we're going out and saying, hey, guys, grow stuff. We want to serve it. And uh, that's how that's how the kind of the very, very origins of it got going in terms of purchasing locally. But I think the the exciting part of it was for me is that I'd go out and I'd visit these farmers. And to a person, man or woman farmer, every single time I went to a farm, I was just Totally amazed and really enthusiastic about what was going on, and so um, we we just dove into it full force. You know, we just we advertised, "Hey, please grow locally for us. If you have stuff, please bring it to us. We'll buy it, and so forth." And um, and it was so rewarding because not only were we helping, well, we getting better quality food, which is our original intent, but we were helping to perpetuate the agricultural. Uh, component of life in Hawaii, both economically and socially. And um, it's been so uh, very rewarding to have this be part of uh, my experience over the last thirty-some years in Hawaii. So that's it.
6: Thank you. Just as a side note, I don't know if you remember, but you were the reason why I went back to get my MBA at Scheidler. It was that momentous conversation we had in Waimea that one day in you asked me what was next. And I said, I think I want to get my MBA. And when I went back to Oahu, I looked into Scheidler and, and there I was um, a couple years later with, with the degree. <laughs>
7: I'm, I'm so glad you didn't say, I want to rob a bank. I mean. <laughs> <Right>?
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, what you've done for the industry has been amazing. Um, so we do appreciate And I do uh, know we have some more questions coming up for you later. Um, you. Next up we have, Jackie Reed. I'm going to share her bio. Okay. Jackie Reed is the CEO of TS Restaurants, a family-owned, privately-held company with 13 restaurants in Hawaii and California. Jackie began her restaurant career in 1989 as a hostess at Leilani's on the Beach, part of the TS Restaurants family. She now oversees a number of restaurants in Hawaii, including Duke's Waikiki, Hula Grill, Waikiki, and Kanapali, Kemos, Kiyoki's Paradise, and Leilani's on the Beach. Jackie is on the board of directors of the San Diego Bowl Game Association, the Hawaii Visitors Bureau Convention, excuse me, Visitors and Convention Bureau, and the Hawaii Lodging and Tourism Association. She's also a member of the Young Presidents Organization. Welcome, Jackie. Hi, Diane, it's,
0: so Can... um, yes. it's so great to be here. Sorry, how's that? Is that better? It's so great to be here. I really appreciate the Scheidler Alumni Association and the travel industry management teaming up to put a spotlight on our industry. Um, it's, it's been rough. It's been a really rough road. And just to feel that support that we have from the communities makes all of the difference. We really appreciate that. It's funny, Peter says that he was intimidated on being on this panel with with uh, people from Scheidler. I'm intimidated being on this panel with Peter and Russell and Cheryl and Chris. So uh, it's really exciting to be a part of this illustrious group. So if I if I just talk a little bit about TS, I mean we're um, you know we're obviously uh, in the thick of things, just like all of the restaurants are in the nation. Uh, The complexity that we have is dealing with two states. So we have restaurants in Hawaii and California and then between the two states we're also dealing with seven different counties and each county has their own set of restrictions uh, around COVID. So you know from March 15th to now it's, it's really been difficult to make sure that we have the right information and uh to make sure that we're we're enacting all of the safety protocols that are most important so because we we had an information gap in the beginning way back in march what we decided was we were going to try to get as much information as we could and then we were going to take the most conservative approach so given that we have restaurants in in all of these different areas we just wanted to make sure that everybody was very clear that our number one priority was safety, safety of our TS ohana our employees, and then also safety for our guests. And so even if um, counties weren't necessarily restricting certain things, um, we might uh, just be if we felt like it was the right thing to do. Uh, one of the examples of that is we decided to uh, temporarily close dine-in in our Hawaii restaurants before it was actually mandated by Governor Ige, and that was just because we had had um, we we saw the trends of the virus, and we felt like to properly honor our mission and values, we needed to make that decision for ourselves and not wait for local officials to make that decision for us. So that's pretty much been our stance as far as COVID uh, uh, safety protocols and making sure that we have safety standards with reopening. We're always going to veer towards the most conservative regulation, the most conservative standards so that we feel good that uh, whenever anybody comes into our restaurant, whether it's to work or whether it's to pass through or whether it's to sit and dine with us, And that we feel confident that we are doing everything in our power to keep them safe. So I know that this uh, webinar is all about giving people hope. And and we do have a a tremendous amount of hope. I mean, the restaurant industry is filled with very determined, passionate people. I mean, so there's absolutely we will find a way to get through this. But it's it's not uh, at all easy. And it's not at all done. Uh, You know, we're... At 50% capacity in most of our, our restaurants, some of the restaurants are are even lower than that. Some of the, some restaurants in California were at 30 or 25% capacity. Uh, I don't know any business that can survive a 50 to 75% decrease in volume, especially when it comes very suddenly. Uh, so you know, even though I, I definitely uh, want to project you know hope and we're going in the right direction in in a lot of places. Uh, this isn't over. And we have to remain diligent. And we still have a long road ahead. And and part of how we're going to get through this is the support of the community. And we're so grateful to have had that. We're so grateful that our community has supported us. And And we hope that the community also feels how much uh, we're honored to be a part of the places that we're in. Um, just some some lessons you know that that we've learned is you know we're a 43 year old company so we don't typically move very fast. Uh, when you have 43 years of of norms and habits, it's it's kind of hard to be agile and flexible at times. Uh, what what this situation has done for us is it's given us a new lease on innovation. It's given us a new lease on flexibility it's given it, us a new lease on uh, the way that we do things and, and the speed at which we do things. Um, and then we've also made sure that even though we're making very quick decisions, quicker than we've ever moved, that we're using our, our company values as, as a guide. So all of the decisions we come back is just in line with our values um, because we need to make sure that we are who we say we are um, and we are who we want to be. And so that's what we've been keeping in mind throughout this crisis. So again, I just wanna take the time to really thank everybody who's supporting restaurants and restaurant related businesses right now. Uh, You know, we need you, we really do. And, And we're grateful for your support and we're going to keep doing our very best throughout the industry to make sure that we keep you all safe. And that we can still provide jobs in order for people to be able to come in and have their special moments and create those
6: timeless memories with us. Thank you, Jackie. I know it's not easy like you said um, with all that history behind you but you guys have done wonderful over the years and um, I know personally I was with TS Restaurants during September 11th and even in 2008, 2009, when it was rough. um, That's part of the reason why I went back to Scheidler to really kind of understand more components of how the overall economy will affect the business. So it was definitely an eye-opener for me. So I do appreciate everything that you're doing. And we do have more questions for you later on. Um, Yeah, if I could um, just say one more thing I I
0: should have mentioned before, um, we've also as a company really benefited from Peter's partnership with TS and and all of the ways that he talked about uh, how he supports farmers and and what that has meant for the concepts that he's created. That has definitely been a part of TS through,
6: through the partnership that we have with him. So thank you, Peter. Next up, we have Chris Kajioka. Chris is a Honolulu native and received his formal training from the prestigious Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York, where he earned his degree in culinary arts. Chris's style of contemporary French cuisine reflects both his classical culinary training and affinity for his own cultural heritage. His cooking emphasizes <clears> the beauty <throat> of local ingredients with a Japanese sensibility. He is a James Beard Foundation Award semi-finalist for Best Chef of the West in 2018, semifinalist for Best New Restaurant in 2017, and semi-finalist a Rising Star Chef of the Year in 2014. Welcome to the conversation, Chris.
8: Hi, uh, thanks for Thank having you. me. Uh, definitely you know feel like uh, the Ricky in this in this on this panel um, i don't know really what I can share that you guys don't know, but uh, I guess i'll try my best um, so for me, you know this year was um, you know obviously mentally very difficult um, you know i I was slated to open um, my new restaurant Miro, um, in the third week of March and you know, I had a staff um, that was onboarded, um, trained, and we had probably about eight to ten, you know, private private events and or buyouts, and you know, obviously all that came to a halt in April. Um, and you know, from from that point, for me, um, you know, your your ego goes out the door, and you do whatever it takes to make sure that your staff is is fed. Um, you know, for me, the, my biggest pressure is making sure that my staff is, is taken care of and they, they don't worry about, you know, their check being affected. Um, you know, so I'll talk about at Miro, um, you know, we, we pivoted to, to doing bentos and, you know, that does absolutely not reflect, um, the food or style of food that we do there, but, um, it was something that I felt at the time. Uh, people were were scared. People were unsure. Um, and I think food always brings comfort and nostalgia. And I think um, you know, it, it. I think people see me as someone who does very precious projects, very very small restaurants. Um, I guess more high end. And you know, I think when they saw that I was doing something that's very you know, I guess, mom and pop, Um, you know, it, it really took to, to people. So, you know, during those weeks, we would, we would literally do um, almost a thousand bentos in two to three days. And um obviously it was a huge pivot and it was something that, um you know, my, my team obviously didn't sign up for, but, you know, they're able to adapt uh, very quickly. Um And, you know, to this day is it's, it's it made me realize that you know people i want to feed more people um you know i don't want to open you know the the 40 seat restaurant and <clears throat> just do a tasting menu i want to i want to touch more people i want to feed the community uh and this year has definitely been uh, a huge awakening for me um so you know with with that said um i'm here to talk about i guess expansion and um this year was, was going to be a big year for me, uh, opening, I guess, four projects, uh, by the end of the year. And I guess what's difficult is that, you know, obviously the timing, everything got pushed, pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. So, you know, fortunately, you know, we're going to squeeze those four projects into probably the next four to five months, uh, which is insane. Uh, but, you know, I think people, what people don't understand is that, and and I'm sure Chef Peter does understand that when you have amazing people that work under you, um, you know, they need need their own space. They need their own kitchen. They need their own menu to shine and unless, or else they're gonna leave. And um, I've been very fortunate to have uh, amazing people work for me. And I've been able to, you know, keep the communication and, you know, at some point they wanna come back and they wanna do their own thing. And um, I think that's the key to expansion. Um, you know, I talked to my mentor, one of my mentors is Roy Yamaguchi and obviously he expanded quite, quite rapidly. And, you know, a few years ago, he told me that there's two roads you, you can take. You can either take the road that he took where, you know, you're gonna stamp out one concept and then you're gonna scale that or you can open you know these little projects and everything be a little bit different, but that's how you expand. And you know, obviously, I chose I chose that road where each project I'm definitely passionate about. Um, I can be creative within within those those style that concept, but also, you know, be able to give opportunities to people who deserve it. Um, so that's kind of what my year has been. Um, you know, a huge pivot. And, you know, I think Peter, Chef Peter was talking about farmers. Um, you know, I'm about to open uh, a Simon shop uh, in a few weeks. And, you know, it's, it's, it's basically in honor of a farmer, uh, Kurt Hirbara, who, you know, was definitely my mentor. Um, you know, it was a huge part of my life, my personal life. And you know, definitely left a huge void uh, when he passed. But you know, that is a direct, um, that's directly because you know me wanting to feed the community and me wanting to touch more people uh, with food. Um, I think with the bentos at Miro, it made me realize that you know people were calling, and you know every week we would sell out, and you know they weren't calling. To make a reservation for a tasting menu, they were calling because, you know, they heard about this bento, you know, and um, that was pretty eye awakening to me. And uh, you know, so my focus going forward is obviously I, I I love to be progressive and always get better and change, but also um, with a with a mindset um, that you know the community comes first. Um, and, you know, without without the local support, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be where I am um, because, you know, Miro is in Kamaki and that's a neighborhood that I grew up in. And it's, uh, it's it's we, we were able to be okay because of that local support. And um, so that's that's basically the mindset going forward is that, you know, I need to be in places and I need to feed people because if tourism doesn't come back, then um, you know I'll still be okay. So that's kind of been my focus uh, this year, um, and yeah, I mean that's that's kind of it.
6: Thank you, Chris, um, yeah. and thanks for sharing kind of your whole year. And and I know there have been a lot of curveballs thrown, um, <laughs> and I can't even imagine with all the different concepts you have going on. So I know everybody's yeah. excited for you and Thank to really you. see what you've been able. What you and your team—and um, I really like that you stress your team because that is really the core of why we do what we do.
8: Absolutely, right? so I think you know. I think um, I get I get way too much credit. Um, you know, I think you know. At, at Miro, I'll tell you, uh, my chef de cuisine used to be my sous chef at Vintage Cave, and you know, after Vintage Cave, he left to LA uh, for a few years, and really you know, the success of that place has to do with, you know, Trevor, who's my chef scene, and my corporate chef, Jason Peel, you know, um, I, they, they really limit, limit the work that I have to do. You know, I'm more, I, I've obviously shifted to be more of a restaurateur where, you know, I deal with everything else, but, you know, I think people give me credit for, you know, that restaurant, but really it's, I have five kids from culinary school who just graduated. I have a great chef de cuisine and a great corporate chef, you know, and, and a great pizza chef. So I, I'm probably the least valuable person there, you know, and um, I think that that allows me to sleep at night. So it's been, I'm lucky. I have, I have a good, good team behind me.
6: That's great. Um, well, I've been trying to get one of those bentos at Marrow, and, and <laughs> it is a sold out item all the time. <laughs> So still on that, I'm um, still on that quest. But looking forward to Papa Kurtz. Um,
8: cool.
6: Okay. So um, next, I think we're gonna start with our panelists um, and ask some questions. Um so maybe I can invite Christy to join me again and we can work with everybody and try to see what um questions that might um the audience might have also.
3: Great, thank you, Well, can we have all panelists uh, turn on your cameras, but keep muted and thus speaking. There are a few more questions. There are rounds of questions that we'll be going through and uh, please keep your response no longer than two minutes. So I'm gonna start with Cheryl. Cheryl. Go ahead. The restaurant industry has been one of the Hawaii success stories in creating safe environments for employees and customers. Does the industry have a set of infection rate tiers such as public school have that may eventually allow restaurants to uplift the restrictions
4: unfortunately the restaurants themselves cannot uplift the restrictions but we have definitely shown our state um, government that our restaurants have very high safety standards um, we We do have attached to our restaurants, a placard system. So if a government official or an inspector walks in and the servers or the hostess or the people in the kitchen are not wearing a mask, they can actually get a warning. And the second time they come in, they can actually get a red placard and be shut down. So if we're not following the mandates, yes, we can. So that really encourages all of our restaurateurs to be sure that they're following the state's mandates.
3: Okay, thank you so much. Uh, The next question is for Peter. Peter, as as one of the original chefs who developed Hawaii regional cuisine, you have successfully created multiple restaurant concepts that support locally sourced ingredients. Can you share your thoughts on where you see the future of our local food industry? What do you feel are the necessary measures that must be in place to help our local food producers and farmers to recover?
7: thank you <clears throat> um first i want to get down to is it uncle kurtz or papa kurtz and have some and you kidding me come on that sounds great <laughs> um so um my own i have a personal feeling about this and i'm not sure that's exactly what's going on in the zeitgeist in hawaii but i really think that um you know it's part of a bigger issue and the, and the issue is that possibly um tourists were loving Hawaii to death and we had too many people in here uh, coming to visit Hawaii. And so I've been promoting the concept of going to the high yield tourists, less tourists spending the same amount of money or more money. Now this this actually uh, dovetails precisely into where I think the agricultural community needs to be in Hawaii. And that's because everything grows better in Hawaii but anything you grow in Hawaii, you can grow elsewhere more affordably and even ship it here and still cost less money. So what we need to sell is exceptional experiences. And part of that exceptional experience is the quality of the ingredient that we sell to people. And it's so simple to do. I know this is what Chris is doing. And um, is he buys that really good stuff from those farmers and then he sells it. And then he, and he says, oh, they give me too much credit. <laughs> well he's the genius to figure it out that's what you got to do right and to keep it simple and get that super high quality thing across so um that's what i think um needs to be done in terms of what can be done via government to to help our um our farmers and so forth i think it's a really really complicated question um i you know farming is really really hard And people get a lot of these um, ideas in their heads, these fantasies that they're gonna go out and be a farmer. And can you tell me when I have like 10 seconds left on my two minutes? Well, you'll warn me, okay. So um, I I don't think we should um, overly encourage people to go into farming. Only the people that are tough enough and smart enough should be in farming. Um, I'm really encouraged just for the people that you probably don't get to Maui, but there's this people that bought Hawaii cane and sugar, they're about like 36,000 acres. Um, I think they're calling it mahi pono. And there's all this really exciting agriculture, but it's large scale commodity agriculture that's going on uh, on Maui. So that's really cool for sugar lands because you can, there is a place for commodity farming in Hawaii, but mostly what we're looking at for people like Chris and I and, and TS restaurants is to have really great products that we can sell and it's really good for the f- small farmer to have this specialty farming called boutique farming because we actually pay more for ingredients than the, than the consumer does. When, we, when I buy tomatoes or, or locally grown green beans or lettuces from here farms, whatever it is, I pay way, way more than you pay down at your local um, supermarket or over at Costco. So that's good for the small farmer who's not gonna be in commodity production.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing the farmer's perspective and uh, how important that our local restaurants are supporting our local farmers as well to creating a different uh, agriculture can- industry for us. My um, next question I have is for Jackie. Jackie, can you first start by sharing with the audience all the restaurants within TS restaurants and where they are located? How are Ho- Hawaii local, well, how are the locations vary in approaching guests and service safety standards as you have opened across multiple counties?
0: Okay, so the first uh, TS restaurant was Kimo, so I'll just say on Maui, that's that's on West Maui. So there's Kimo's, Leilani's, Hula Grill, and Duke's, and then at Kiokis, there I'm sorry, at Kauai, there's Kiokis and Duke's, and on Oahu there is Duke's and Hula Grill. And in California, we have Duke's La Jolla, Duke's Malibu, Duke's Huntington Beach, Duke's Del and Sunnyside, which is also a resort on the west shore of Lake Tahoe. Uh, so that's all of, of TS restaurants. And, um, you know, like I said earlier, we, we really just monitor the information that we have, not just from county and state regulations, but also from the CDC. And we have adopted the most conservative approach that we can. Uh, throughout all of our restaurants. And uh, one of the, the interesting things that we found is is we were really concerned that guests would be nervous to come in. And what was very apparent early on was our our employees also wanted to make sure that they were being protected and that we were taking proper safety precautions for them. And so, um, a lot, you know, and in some places, you know, varied, but there were some places where guests would come in with no masks or not want to wear them. And, you know, we, we've been very, very firm with uh, you you can't come here, then we're so sorry, we're happy to do a to-go order for you. But it, it's not just because of the regulation, it's also because we have an obligation to protect our TSOHANA and we, they need to make sure that they feel safe. And we need to make sure that we're holding up to our end of the, bat, the bargain that safety is our number one priority. So it's been really interesting as, as we've opened up because some we've been surprised uh, by a couple of things, uh, mainly that you know our, our employees were probably more concerned about safety than our guests were in a lot of places.
3: Thank you. And, and uh with with all your restaurants spread out through all different counties, I'm sure, and, and different measures, we're just very surprised and wanted to know how did DS do it? Um, so our next question is uh, for Chris. We're still figuring it out. <laughs> um Chris, congratulations on your growth and expansion in, in 2020 and success and specifically pivoting pivoting your restaurants. Uh, We would like to focus on your upcoming new openings in Waikiki and Kaanapali. Uh, What factors helped you make the decision to expand during this time when the tourism industry has been drastically affected? Have you had to pivot these concepts with your original vision to ensure a successful launch?
8: Well, I I will explain, you know, I don't think I would necessarily choose to open during this time. Um, you know, these are projects that were in planning for a while, um, much earlier than this year. Um, you know, with with projects that I, I take, um, they have to be extremely interesting to me, and they have to. I have. There's a reason why I have. I do it. Um, so for, for Haltree and Kaimana, um, you know, that's, that's, to me, it's the most, one of the most iconic spots besides Dukes, obviously, um, in Waikiki. And it's, it's, a, it's an area, you know, Kaimana where San Susie, where I grew up going and barbecuing with my family, you know, um, so there, there's, there's nostalgia to me and there's a, there's a sense of place there. Um, so, you know, that project, um, very excited um, you know, I hired chef Alan Takasaki from the bistro who in my eyes is, is a legend, just like chef Peter, um, you know, and, and, you know, selfishly, I, 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 want him to be there because I want to eat his food again, you know? So again, um, I'm sure I'll get credit for it, but it really is had nothing to do with me. I I'm supporting him, um, and want him to do what he does there, but, um, in the end it's it's you know he's the he's the genius in the kitchen um and it, with with uh kanapali um you know that's obviously the biggest project i've ever done it's probably bigger than all my restaurants combined which is uh you know i i haven't i don't think i've slept much just thinking about that um but you know it also presents a new challenge for me um i like I said, the the whole awakening this year for me was trying to feed more people and trying not to be so precious and, you know, t- to use tweezers and just cook delicious food, you know. Um, and I think, you know, Papa Kurtz is is definitely one of those places where, you know, we're going to be very busy, I'm, I hope. Um, and, you know, there's, it's just based on how delicious the food is. And I think in Kanapali, um, you know, I really fell in love the area about two years ago when I stayed at the hotel for a food and wine festival. And, you know, my my family had a great time there and it kind of set the tone for me that, you know this is such a beautiful place and I would love um, to cook there. Um, You know, again, it's giving opportunity to people who um, are amazing. You know, um, Chef Peter knows Zach Sato very well having, um, you know, I think um, Zach considers you a mentor, um, but, you know, Zach was introduced to me by Kurt Hirabara years ago, and he's been leading my kitchens for the past five years, and that's a project that he's going to do, and I have complete confidence in the fact that he will execute, you know, um, delicious food. He's got amazing training, Um, and I do also believe that you know, Hawaii is Hawaii. Hawaii is going to come back. There's no, there's no other place like it. Um, so I, you know, at some point I do believe that we're going to get somewhat normal. Um, like chef Peter says, you know, you probably want to cut down the amount of people coming and just have a better, I guess, a better visitor, a more quality visitor, if that makes sense. But, um, you know, those, those two projects, um, I'm excited for, Uh, I'm not, obviously i'm nervous but um i'm, I'm very excited for it.
3: um well i'm gonna move on and to have diane to ask the next row of um panel questions thank you so much chris
6: and uh, i look forward to dying in your your rush dots yes we all do christy um so i do have the next round of questions but i wanted to remind everybody who's listening if you do have any questions that you'd like us to ask our great panelists, please go ahead and use the Q&A chat in the bottom of your Zoom screen um, and type them in there and we'll do our best to get the questions out to our panelists. Um, but in the meantime, um, Cheryl, I'd like to take it back to you and ask you, um, what are some initiatives that HRA has done to help restaurants innovate itself and pivot during, these, during this COVID time? Well, as you know, when
4: the the COVID hit, even we were trying to reinvent ourselves. So we created the Hawaii Dining Out directory. And originally it was just who was open and who was closed. And it's on our website. Anybody who wants to subscribe to our free newsletter can get all the updates from what's going on in the restaurant industry. So it went from just who is open and who is closed, and who had basically drive through and takeout, to who has open dining rooms, who has now, uh, who is accepting the Hawaii restaurant card. So we've also improved and, 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 um, I guess got more categories in our dining out directory, which helps all of the consumers who are going to our website, saying you know who exactly has curbside pickup and who has outdoor seating. We've also um, sent out information about you know all the touchless. People are using touchless QR um, codes and apps now. Um, uh, many restaurants said, you know, apps were always kind of out there like, yeah, one day I want to make an app, you know, like everybody else, but all of a sudden COVID hit. So now it's like, okay, we're going to create an app and we're going to do it in three days, right? And they are running to the finish line because now they're like, we need an app because all the dining rooms were shut down. So you need an app so people can order and they can pay it on their own phone and everything is touchless. I've also um, seen, a, we, we talk about it in the HRA. Um, now everybody has to do contact tracing and you see some restaurants that have like a notepad where you write your name. Well, many restaurants have now gone to touchless where it's a QR code that people can actually hit a QR code, fill out the form online before they even enter the restaurant. When they go to the hostess stand, the host says, Yes, I see you've already completed our contact tracing um, form. Uh, let me seat you to your table. So it's a lot, touch, a lot more touchless, a lot more efficiency because now you have something that's um, attached to your QR code for your contact tracing, which is either on a Google form or Microsoft Teams form. And now you've got that for the, you know, the duration of the 21 days that's mandatory for us to keep our lists.
6: Yes, no, those those have all been great ideas. And I definitely have seen the um, evolvement of that first one you were talking about when we are trying to find out where to eat and not really knowing who's open and who's answering their phone. And sometimes they would be open, but they couldn't answer their phone because they were just too busy. Yes, so it was yeah. really great to have all the information in one place. So thank you so much to you and the HRA for that. Thank you. Um, Russell, I wanted to um loop back to you um, and ask you about the potential you see of the tourism market in 2021 um, of doing takeout and reheat boxes in the visitor market versus dining in the restaurant um, where do you i i know with planning it must take time where do you see that market happening you mentioned a little bit in the grocery stores but now in that visitor that timeshare that hotel what do you think um And what is Waihata planning?
5: Right now, I believe when a tourist comes to Hawaii, they do not want to eat in their room. (laughs) They want to go to have the local regional cuisine experience and eating local product. So I don't think that'll catch on at all unless the government mandates a quarantine or something for them to stay in their rooms. I am working with uh, elite, uh, Ryan Chan, on uh, possibly providing food in the room if they have to quarantine. But other than that, uh, I don't believe that's the route that the industry will take. And by the way, I wanna apologize for earlier. I just went through all my questions. And-
6: no, it's absolutely okay. Um, we were excited to hear all your thoughts. Um, Our next question is for Peter. Peter, you know, we've seen restaurants across the country due to the mandate um, adding new outdoor dining spaces to give the guests the safe alternative dining environment. Um, Seen some pretty creative ones on the mainland too where uh, the setup has been um, quite interesting but full of people dining outside on the streets. Um, Your Honolulu location did a great job and you successfully created a new open air outdoor dining space. Do you think this is a trend or this is going to become part of your restaurant's identity moving forward and then what are some additional shifts you see for the dining portion of the industry
7: so yeah i think, I think what we've learned is that since since march we have learned that it, it's all about aerosols right so that's why outside is so interesting um the problem with outside is you get this thing called weather right and even when we have the best weather on earth you know if you're in kaanapali Um, it's going to rain so many days. And if you're in Kapalua, it's going to rain so many more days. And then you have wind and, you know, when it blows the salad off your plate, that's a a real issue. I think that, um, you know, Cheryl was talking earlier about the placards that the government's doing. The government's always out trying to catch us doing stuff wrong. And as Jackie said, it's in our interest to keep our employees safe. If our employees are safe, then the residual effect is the guests are safe. We're all in to keeping people safe. We don't have to be caught doing things wrong. We need to be caught doing things right. And with that thought, I think that we need to start to, to um, segregate or, or, or differentiate on different types of indoor dining. Now it's a complicated topic, but you've got HEPA air filters, which killed virus, right? And some restaurants are better at killing the virus and circulating their air than others. And what I think we need to do is have a process that can identify this for consumers and says, hey, this is a top-rated place. Even if you're eating indoors there, you're going to be safe. Where you're going over this place where, you know, the cigarette smoke is still hanging in from last night. Maybe that's not as good a place to be. So that's where I would prefer to see our government doing its you know, kit go out and say hey these guys are doing it right we don't have everybody else can figure it out for themselves let the market take care
6: that's that is a great answer and and i do agree with you that um hopefully in the next few months getting that figured out for consumers and consumers to feel that safety um really is going to be what's going to bring back dining out um back to where it was um so That's a good segue into Jackie. Jackie, I wanted to ask you, since um, Duke's Waikiki has been one of the only restaurants in Waikiki that I know that was open for most of 2020, um, you know, have there been any specific lessons that you learned during this experience that you want to share with our audience?
0: Um, Yeah, I was thinking, you know, you don't need as much sleep as you thought you did. Um, (laughs) Just kidding, you really do, (laughs) sleep is good. (laughs) uh yeah we you know we we are proud that we've been open uh, but again to what i alluded to earlier it has not been easy it was a deliberate choice to open uh, because we felt an obligation uh to to be there and and also you know we're in the restaurant business we don't want to not be open we we want to be in the restaurant we want to greet people and to serve food uh, so one of the biggest things that we did is is we we had to figure out to go. We were not good at to-go service, nor did we really try, because our whole motto was we want you to come in and be with us, because we, we're, our mission is about creating timeless memories and lifelong friendships. And it's hard to do that if you're just handing a bag to somebody to go eat it somewhere else. So we didn't encourage to go, nor did we really try that hard to make sure that we could do it, because our, we wanted people with us. Uh, then we found ourselves in a situation where the only way we could reach people and and feed them was through to-go. So we uh, invested in uh, a whole new uh, technology system for to-go specifically. We invested in all new uh, to-go carriers so that the food can be uh, fresher when you get it home and and carry well. Uh, And then we revised our menus so that they were to-go friendly. And we, what we found is if if we really put our minds to it and be creative and the team works together, that we can find a way to still make sure that we're creating those relationships, even if we have to hand you a bag. Uh, so that's what we've really been focused on or our elements of that. We're also really proud that even throughout this, you know, Duke Waikiki and Grow Waikiki were able to continue to provide meals to the Waikiki Community Center. You know, they they were they served over 2,000 meals to them um, during the shutdown, and so those things are important to us. And we had to figure out a way to stay open, and it wasn't the best financial decision. Um, I can definitely tell you that, but it was the decision that was right and in line with our values.
6: Thank you, and um, and we are looking forward to um, on November 12th. I'm just going to do a quick plug for the Waikiki Community Center in Duke's Waikiki. Um, It's the first time the annual fundraiser Waikiki lights is going to be going virtual and Duke's Waikiki will be making the food and presenting it to go in a virtual fundraiser format so everybody's really excited about that. Um, And it is I think a way not only have restaurants had to pivot, but also nonprofits um, had have had to pivot to continue to raise funds that are much needed for the people that they serve. So um, thank you, and Dukes Waikiki, I know, will do a great job at that fundraiser. Um, Now moving on to Chris. Chris, uh, I wanted to also, speaking of nonprofits, um, touch upon what you committed to this year, and I think is absolutely amazing, um, that you committed to donating 10% of your own personal profits from your businesses to fund three Hawaii-based nonprofits. Can you take some time and share a little bit more about this and what prompted you to make this commitment? Uh,
8: you know, I think uh, normally, you know, my schedule um, just in the restaurant and it's just the, the constant grind, you know, so you're not really allowed to think. Uh, obviously, you're not allowed to sleep, um, you know, because I'm not I don't really turn off. I don't think, uh, you know, Chef Peter knows that, you know, you're always worrying about something, you know, so. Um, I've obviously obviously had a lot of time to think and, you know, I had a few conversations with, uh, I've always donated, you know, dinners or experiences to nonprofits. And, um, you know, I think this year I was, I was speaking to one of the directors and, you know, the, their big gala, um, that, you know, they rely on the big fundraising events obviously are not, are not going to happen this year. Um, you know, so for me, um, what, what can I do? Um, you know, I, I've also been very fortunate, uh, with great opportunities and, you know, for me, I've always, I've always give back, but you know, this is a, it's motivation for me and it's a commitment to, you know, the, these small nonprofits that, um, you know, I, I'll do my best to do what I can because I'm, 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 there's a lot of people who are in a far worse position than I am. I'm very lucky. Um, so you know, I picked Hawaii Children's Cancer, uh, which is a very small one, um, and you know they need every every dollar. Uh, Huala Nopua, which is a a new one, uh, which you know I, I I've known the, the people involved for a few years, uh, and Lana Kila Meals on Wheels. So I think it's it's non that benefit locally, um, but really it's it's you know I I I didn't want to just sit around during this time um you know I'm, I'm 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 definitely expanding a lot but um you know if if i feel like if i'm successful you, you just need you need to give back you know that's what i've always been taught um so you know that's that's kind of where i i i want to be for the rest of my career you know if i'm given great opportunities then others should be as well um so you know that it, it it's a good motivation for me too you know to, to think about that this is not just for me it's for my team and it's for hopefully other people so um yeah that's it's you know i think a lot of people do it um and maybe a lot of people don't know about it but you know it, it's also too'm I'm, I'm around very successful business people a lot of the time you know people with um a lot more money than I have but um, you know, if, I think if, if people can see that I'm going to do it and I'm going to commit to doing this, then maybe they maybe they'll have a second thought about maybe I should be doing this, you know? So that's just my thought process. Um, and you know, I, I think this has been a, a terrible year, but, uh, I've definitely learned a lot from it. So
6: thank you, Chris. And I do hope, um, I mean, I think it's very commendable what you're doing and I do hope others do follow in your footsteps. Um, like you mentioned, um, Uh, Our nonprofits right now really need every dollar that they can get. Um, So whether helping with a creative virtual fundraiser or um, doing what you're doing with the dollars or supporting in some other way that could help them, um, I think would be a wonderful thing for our our entire community. Um, I'm gonna pass it on to Christy now. Uh, We do have some wonderful Q&A questions that came through. Um, Our chat, so keep those coming, and we're going to try to get through as many as we can in the limited time we have left.
3: Great, thank you. you. Okay,
6: um, our questions. we will try
3: our best to get through them. This is one of them. I really want to know. Um, uh, what I would say. Let's go with this. Are there certain ingredients, goods, that have gained popularity during the COVID, um, and why? What are some goods or services?
0: Well, well services too, for Cheryl. I, I, I can start. Um, alcohol has been very popular <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> okay. um, other, other than that, you know, what we've seen is, is just more of what we've all, always seen. Our most popular items are still our most popular. So there hasn't been a lot that's changed for us in terms of food, but definitely um the people are craving those Mai
4: I have to agree with her. When we met with Governor Ige back in, I wanna say this was February, March, and we asked him to approve the takeout of alcohol. So now, you know, before that, people weren't allowed to take out alcohol. And he did do an emergency order for us just so that if people were gonna order a takeout meal, they could take out also, you know, a can of beer or a small little, you know, I'm not not a drinker, so I don't know exactly what it is, but we want to thank the governor because he approved that so that we can um, have take out alcohol. And that was huge for him because as you know, we weren't allowed to take out alcohol before that. So that's, I guess, something good that came out of it. Now to keep him to let him keep it because we need to keep that going and not take it off of the um, emergency order. Anyone else wants to answer this question or share their about their
3: experience. Russell, did you see any particular goods or ingredients were going out or selling really well at, at Waihata?
5: It's kind of been all over the place. Um, a lot of the traditional stuff that we've already always sold, always sold is uh, going, but uh, I don't look enough, I, I guess, into the details of that, so I'll leave it to the other panelists.
4: Diane, I will tell you what I've heard from the restaurants is that the comfort foods. Um, Chris opening up a Simon place, a Simon restaurant. I heard that people during these kind of times really want the local comfort foods. And I've heard that those are the places where the, you know, the, the local plate lunches and the laos. I mean, just it's comfort food during these times when it's so many, you know, uncertain times. I heard that that's a very popular thing.
5: Yeah, I think on a national basis, along with that is the, the chicken and the hamburgers and a lot of the fast food type.
4: Yes. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you on that, Russell, because, yes, even for the Hawaii Restaurant Card stats, we do see, like you said, right, the fat hamburgers and the chicken burgers and the zippies. We do see that up there.
5: Yeah, please encourage the people to all, uh, buy from the local companies. The local.
4: Exactly. Exactly. Please. <laughs> please.
3: What I hear is like it's burgers and alcohol right now, right, Simon?
4: Simon. <laughs>
6: Great. Um, right, I, I have a I have a question that came up um, through, and maybe this is this will be good for Chris or Peter, um, and it's for any suggestions you could have for aspiring chefs, maybe some that are in culinary school right now. Um, and Jackie, feel free to jump in, or anybody on our panel, what. Advice can you give to these aspiring chefs um, when they're seeing their possible places of employment, which are restaurants, closing, um, to have them continue to keep, you know, keep going on their dreams and keep aspiring to do what they want to do.
8: Uh, so that, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, first of all, I think anyone in, in school or training should definitely enjoy that time. Um, you know, looking back. Uh, that was the easiest time in my life, where I could just cook and and uh, be creative and and not have to worry about you know everything else. Um, I think you know this this the restaurant industry is extremely resilient, uh, always has been. So um, you know don't 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 get your hopes down. Um, I think the restaurant industry will be back. Um, you know they're, they're, we're very creative people and. Uh, hardworking and resilient, so we'll find a way to to get back. Um, you know, it, this year has obviously been been um, it, it's been extremely difficult, and a lot of our, our iconic places are closing. Uh, but you know, I think a lot of those places will come back with a new concept. You know, so um, my my advice to any anybody in culinary school is just continue to work hard um, and. Um, you know, hard work, uh, no ego, uh, like Chef Peter says, is that's like the two best traits for anybody. It has nothing to do with uh, your resume or where you worked. It's it's how hard you work and how how um, you know how 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 much willing you are to to learn from um, learning and take advice. I think that's the best thing.
3: Uh, thank you so much. Uh, there, I. I have another question
6: um, that? Wait, Christy. Does Peter want to answer that real quick?
7: Um, well, I, I I agree with what um, Chris said. I have a more involved answer, which is uh, doesn't doesn't necessarily directed at kids in um, culinary school right now. But I think there's a major restructuring um, that's going to happen to the uh, restaurant industry in the entire country, and especially here in this in the, in this state, and that has to do with the way. Leases are signed and the way they're guaranteed and the whole structure. Um, I won't get into all the, those sort of details right now, but what it indicates is that there's gonna be a lot of opportunities out there that are a year or two years away, or maybe they're three years away. I don't know uh, when they're, and that's not for, when you're in culinary school, you gotta think more than three years before you open your own joint. But, um, but um, there's gonna be opportunity out there. So stay awake, keep your eyes open.
5: Yeah, and I'd also like to add uh, for starting a restaurant, take some business classes, have a basic understanding of business. Just, just from my experience, I've seen so many restaurants open up and close that, uh, and the biggest problem is they don't understand business. And for anybody watching, every Wednesday morning at Chef's Zone, we have a, a restaurant consultant here to help anybody planning on starting a restaurant
0: yeah i'd like to chime in to russell's comment i i tell everybody who asks for advice about getting into the restaurant business is to take business classes and specifically take accounting Um, because that's where a lot of a lot of restaurateurs have trouble sometimes and then you have to put your trust in someone else rather than than having it with you so
6: take accounting classes as well Yes, and I would definitely agree. I kind of did it in a backwards order. I did the restaurant business first, and then went back to school. Um, and that that first accounting class really opened my eyes, um, and the P and L just made complete sense after that. Um, and really understanding the balance sheet. And I do think restaurateurs needing to, you know, whether you're the chef, um, thinking you're only going to need to be worried about food costs or the kitchen. It's not really true, it's the overall restaurant P&L and really understanding where those dollars are going and how you get most of it to flow, as much of it as you can to flow to that bottom line um, as you're building out your concept. So I do think all, the, all those points our panelists brought up are really great points.
3: Anyone Christy, have- you have another question? Sure, it's, um, let's see, wait, let's add one more question. This one um, targeted for Jackie, Peter, Chris, if you can chime in. Um, how and, and to what extent have you modified your business model to account for takeout and delivery, co- delivery to customers?
0: Oh, yeah, everything about our business model is different except for our mission and values and our, our commitment to our communities, to our TSOHANA and, uh, and to um, our legacy of Aloha partners. So everything else has changed. Um, we've completely restructured our home offices, our management teams, um, our job descriptions within the restaurant. And then a, a big part has been to really push to go. And so we've created um, different, you know, pickup windows right now, Duke's, is, Duke's Waikiki actually is in the middle of uh, getting a window uh, opened up that's on the pathway to the beach that's right on the outside of the restaurant. So. We recognize that to-go service is a revenue stream that we need to cultivate. And we've also partnered where we can in different areas with delivery services as well. Um, And we've also in some locations started uh, our own delivery. So if you're say within a mile or so of some of our locations, there's an opportunity for us to deliver food to you. Uh, So we've, we've definitely accounted for it. We're still working it out. Uh, we know it's here to stay, and we keep trying to make sure that we can um, deliver uh, hospitality and aloha in those those bags, but uh, they carry more than just food. They also carry uh, how important our guests are to us.
6: Chris, I know you did um, a pivot in your to-go service, not only at Miro, but at um, Senya, which was an existing brand, and I know you stayed on brand with it, but you delivered a very different product. Um, did you have any thoughts on this?
8: Um, you know, obviously, you it, know, it, it, it took it took a lot of time to get comfortable. Um, you know, both restaurants are not suited for takeout. Um, you know, the the food. You know, there's nothing worse than than ordering something, and when you get home, it's just not the same. You know, um, and I I love, you know, a lot of the a lot of the. The, the wow is like when you when you see it in front of you and you eat it hot and, you know, or eat it cold and the temperature texture. Um, so, you know, it definitely took a lot to to get used to it. Um, there's a lot of growing pains because for us, we're not used to doing takeout at all. Um, I think the only containers that we really had was the ones that people took home their leftover food. Uh, so, you know, it took a lot of adjustment. Uh, but I think... it's it's that's going to be the future regardless of what you what you like or what you don't want to do um you have to get used to it and you have to get good at it um you know so it's it's not going anywhere so yeah it's just it's it's been an adjustment but um you know you have to be really smart about you know what jackie says about tailoring your offerings to making sure that you know if they do reheat it it's it's at the same quality that you intended it to be, you know. Um, so that's it's always difficult, but you know, it, it just takes some thought. That's it.
6: Thank you, Chris, and um, thank you, everyone, to all our panelists. I know we're running out of time. Um, do want to just appreciate show our appreciation that you guys have taken time out of your very busy days um, and probably gave up your sleep time in order to join us today. So we do appreciate that. Um, and it's been a really engaging conversation today. So we're going to have Sandy and close um, Sandy and Toby close up the conversation. But thank you again to all of our panelists.
2: Thank you,
1: everyone. Hey, Toby, how's it? Am I saying this correctly? How
2: do you say it again? I don't know. I forget. I'm just eating it. It's so good.
1: <laughs> it looks delicious.
2: Hey, pork, potato, and egg, good for takeout. Good. <laughs> <Still>. <laughs> How was your Florentine Benedict?
1: It's gone. It was oh. awesome. <laughs> well, wonderful. So for those who have not urge to eat now at Koa Pancake House, go online and use that code. Reopen Hawaii and get 15% off until the 15th. Okay, Toby, I think it's time. Okay, you put that aside. Good. To so welcome everybody back. Thank you for your questions. They were on point and exactly what we needed to hear.
2: Uh, absolutely, they were. And we mentioned earlier, these free webinars are brought to you by the University of Hawaii Schindler College of Business and Travel Industry Management Alumni Associations. If you're enjoying these webinars and able to give, please consider a donation to the college's Schindler Strong campaign at shilerhawaiiedu strong
1: Now, if you would like to rewatch any part of this webinar, a recording will be posted on the Shidler College website. You will also find our previous six webinars there. And we recently started a page at chidler.hawaii.edu slash reopening tourism. Please feel free to share our webpage to the others who you think will get informational value from these webinars.
2: Awesome. And hey, registration for our next and final, the eighth reopening tourism webinar, impacts and forecasts of the activities, events, and wedding industry. I mean, that industries have been just devastated from this tourism boom so i mean it's tomorrow it starts it's going to be next week tuesday at a special time 10 o'clock uh our featured speakers are from the hawaii convention center kualoa ranch iolani palace events international hawaii wedding style magazine and wedding week hawaii we got to see we got to see what we can do to help this market out guys once again you receive an email with registration the webinar moves to 10 o'clock next week tuesday
1: Thank you again to our panelists for sharing your guidance and providing providing us with hope as we move forward through this time together. And thank you to all those in attendance. We appreciate your questions and all that you are doing to reopen our economy safely. See you for
0: our eighth and final webinar next
8: week.